This is essentially a supercharged ATS, a supercharged sourcing machine that helps businesses to find the best talent out there. And, and we built it completely with that in mind because of the five years that I spent having those frustrating conversations. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. My special guest today is Helen McGuire. Helen is the CEO and co-founder of Diversely.io. That's D-I-V-E-R-S-E-L-Y.io, which is an end-to-end hiring platform that uses technology to reduce bias in the hiring process. Helen is also an award-winning entrepreneur in the diversity space. She founded the first women's career platform in the Middle East in 2016 called Hopscotch, which grew to a worldwide community of over 80,000 people working with businesses like Facebook, MasterCard, Nestle, and expanded to Singapore in 2018. Helen began her career in London working at BBC Radio One, where she was the producer of an award-winning show and actually had presented her own monthly radio program as well. She was the first female resident DJ at Club 360 in Dubai and still occasionally DJs to this day. Welcome, Helen. It's great to talk with you again. Thanks so much, Mark. It's really great to be here. Fantastic. So um, you were introduced by your husband, Justin, who is a client of mine and has also been on the podcast. Um, So that was episode 42, where I interviewed Dan and Justin. Um, So grateful to Justin for for the introduction. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's it's great to be a part of the podcast this year. So, Helen, I noticed something on your email signature. Well, a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. One is um, you were awarded HRM Asia's top three tech startups in 2020. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. Um, so that's what really, I suppose, kicked off our funding round last year. Um, I've been working on diversely, um, well, I was going to say since the start of the year, but we're now in a new year. So uh, since the beginning of, of 2020 um, and uh, joined forces with my current co-founder, Haley Baker, who's our chief product officer um, in April, May of, of last year. Um, and we um, were put in touch with HRM Asia through a, a mutual contact um, who told us about the competition that was happening. Um, as we were super early stage at that point, we honestly didn't take it all that seriously. So there were a number of different um, a number of different rounds, obviously, to go through. Uh, we had to pitch, uh, put together a, a pitch deck, which was probably only halfway done by by June of that year when we were um, actually. Uh, entering the the competition. Um, And I know that we were up against, um, you know, many other startups in the HR tech space, all of which, you know, it either made money or were well on the way to doing so and were certainly a bit further along the road than we were. So we didn't have hugely high hopes. But I think because what we're doing is um, so different in this space and really offers a different solution uh, we made it through to the top 10. We then made it through to the top five. We then made it through to the top three. Um, so we were really, really pleased about, about that award. Um, and it really kind of kicked things off for us as well from a, a press perspective and gained us quite a lot of attention um, at that point in our in our progress. Amazing. Well, I, I will ask you more about your funding and, and 
you know, the different rounds of funding in a moment, because I think for entrepreneurs, that's uh, an interesting journey. Um, before I do, the other thing I want to ask you, you have a really cool thing on your website uh, where you can check your diversity score. Is that live now? Can, I, can people go and do that? Yeah, absolutely. It takes five minutes. It's totally free. We've now assessed over 50 companies um, for their diversity standing. Um, and actually, and I'm sure we'll get into this at some point, but our, our beta testers that we're working with now um, also get a benchmark report for their, for their market and their industry. So, yeah, it's super quick and easy to do, um, scientifically backed, um, and you will get a score and also uh, a free report off the back of that as well to help you understand exactly where you might be missing out on, on decent talent out there. Right. Love it. That's really cool. Um, by the way, we have a client in common, Nikki Dallas. How did you find Nikki or how did she find you? I don't know. It's one of those things, isn't it? I think LinkedIn is, is to blame for a lot of these connections. Um, <laughs> certainly in the last kind of four or five months, uh, my LinkedIn has been fairly inundated. Um, so I think I connected through LinkedIn and um, I'm recording a webinar with her in a couple of weeks time and a podcast with her. Um, which unfortunately clashed with your podcast, Mark. But um, I, I obviously had yours in the diary first. So Nikki and I are recording next week now. Oh, awesome. Great. Nikki is fantastic. She is part of my inner circle coaching group. Um, and she's just an amazing human being. And I'm so cool that she's doing these uh, regular p webinars now. Um as a, a a business and branding, you know, a lead generation and branding thing, which is uh, yeah, which is awesome. We we got on very well when we connected. Um, so we're starting to do a few few more things together this year, which is brilliant. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll I'll look forward to uh, to hearing your interview with uh, her or her, her interview with you. Um, so talk to me about this. You know, the diversity space and you're approaching it from a technology point of view. How did this come about? Um, well, I'm going to cut uh, probably what could be quite a long story short where that's concerned. Um, as you rightly mentioned uh, in the introduction, um, I've been working in this space for about six years now. Um, and I, I really fell into it um, from a, a passion perspective. Um, I've taken a few left-hand turns in, in my career over the last 15 or 20 years. And they've always been driven by something that I'm really passionate about and where I see, um, you know, an unfairness or an injustice in some ways as well, I think. Um, and when I had my first baby in uh, 2014, I very quickly realized that there were many women. I was not one of them at that particular point. I was very lucky. I was in the Middle East and, and managed to gain some flexibility in, in my hours. Um, I was head of digital content for an advertising agency at that point. Um, but my colleagues, friends, any other women that I met at that time um, had basically fallen off the career ladder. And I felt, you know, were incredibly frustrated and expressed to me that they were incredibly frustrated that there wasn't this um, out of the box thinking, particularly in the Middle East at that point. Um, there were no sort of flexible hours, um, part time hours. And yet these women had 10, 15, 20 years worth of incredible career experience that was essentially going to waste just because employers couldn't think a little bit more broadly um, to welcome these women back. So I started um, a platform called Hopscotch, um, which is and was a women's careers platform with the uh, initial aim of finding uh, women more flexibility in their careers, but ended up being something that 
um, really helped all professional women improve their career prospects through training, through events, obviously through uh, recruitment as well, and through unique initiatives that we held with some of the companies that you mentioned in your introduction. And it grew very quickly. Um, you know, we, we managed to expand it in the Middle East and then brought it over to, to Singapore and to Asia in 2018. Um, we gained around 80,000 um, in our network. We worked with wow. businesses, both big and small. Um, and I think it probably was almost a victim of its own success um, because what I found during that time was that there were difficult conversations to be had around diversity, specifically around women. Not everybody, either in this region or in the Middle East, was up to speed, let's say, or open um, to thinking about things in a different way and understanding that there was this just huge pool of talent out there that was not being tapped into and utilized. Mm. Um, that was a kind of education piece from my side. Number one. Number two, we were only tackling the issue for women. Obviously, the issue of, of what is essentially unconscious bias affects so many different people out there. There are very few um, people that it doesn't affect in one way or another. And thirdly, I was only making the tiniest impact that you know could uh, out of the potential impact that, that I felt I, I could make. I knew there was a huge problem out there. I knew there were businesses that needed this talent and that actually wanted to find it. And yet I was only really solving the problem for a handful of women, proportionally speaking, on a, on a monthly basis. Um, that to me became incredibly frustrating. Um, you know, I was regularly just felt like I was hitting my head against a brick wall. Um, and I knew that the business model that we had, which was very reliant on me as a person being in a particular place to make it work um, was not scalable and was not sustainable and did not solve the problem. Um, so that's when I realized probably, I would say towards the beginning of 2019, um, when I also had my third child, so wasn't 100% in a place to, to solve the problem at that point. Um, that's when I really realized that there needed to be a much deeper and more wide-ranging solution to this problem, and that almost definitely involved tech. Wow. Okay. So uh, through this journey, through your own experiences and that of colleagues, you've you built this uh, women's career uh, network, uh, Hopscotch, and that has kind of evolved. Is that still ongoing, or what's the status of Hopscotch? Yeah, so Hopscotch is an interesting one. Um, it's kind of morphed into diversely in many ways because the okay. issues I'm talking about diversely are the issues that I was, or one of the issues I was trying to solve with Hopscotch. Um, it. But it's now become a, um, a community, basically a self-serving community. So I've kind of got out of the way of that and I've connected businesses and women who want to be part of that community together, both to learn yes. from each other and the recruitment and so on. So, yeah, I mean, if anyone's interested in that, that community is still absolutely up and running and open. Okay. Do you know, um, before we get too deep, Helen, I feel like we need to really enroll people and get them on board with this topic and what's in it for them. Okay. Yeah. So, um, from the perspective of a recruiter or 
recruitment agency owner, let's say, why should they care about um, removing unconscious bias from their and their clients' hiring process? Yeah. I think we're very lucky this year um, because there has been so much change in the previous 12 to probably 36 months around this mm-hmm. topic. And there is far more awareness around um, diversity and inclusion. Um, I think we've hopefully moved away from it being something that is a nice to have and mm-hmm. something that's in the box and something that feels uh, morally correct, even though, you know, that is 100% the case and much more into well hang on a minute if we are excluding people of color if we are excluding women if we are excluding um, people with um, different different abled people um, if we are excluding uh, older people or younger people from our hiring process then that is a huge number of people with talent, with skills that we could be utilizing that maybe our competitors aren't looking at, um, that we're suddenly not able to tap into. Um, And if we're not reducing bias in our hiring process, because look, everybody has bias. Everybody lives with conscious or unconscious bias in their daily lives. I do, you do, everybody does. It's just human nature to want to gravitate more towards those people that seem more like you or, or, or somebody that you have something in common with or somebody that perhaps somebody is recommended to you through their network. Um, so when you're recruiting for, for a, you know, a, a new talent to join your business, that almost always will come into play. And if that's the case, you might not be seeing the actual skills of that person you might not be seeing what that person can bring to your business if you're only comparing them to people that you already have or to yourself um, so it essentially comes down to broadening your reach to the right person for the job as opposed to just the most obvious person for the job got it so um by the way does this come into play in terms of sourcing um, or is it at the selection stage? Like what point does diversely um, impact the hiring process? Yeah, right from the beginning, from sourcing. And we're actually very unique in the market where that's concerned because many of the solutions out there, and there are other solutions out there, of course, um, start mostly at either selection or at hiring. And the reason that we start at sourcing is because I guess think about it, you know, from a day-to-day perspective. If you're speaking to your grandma, if you're speaking to your child, if you're speaking to your boss, if you're speaking to your friend, you don't use the same language, right? You don't talk to them in exactly the same way. You use language that they understand, that makes them, that that, that helps you to have a conversation with them, that helps you um, to have something in common with them. The same is true when you're sourcing people. Um, if you use language that doesn't feel inclusive, that feels as though um, it's basically targeted to somebody else, um, and that doesn't make uh, you know a particular sector of people or people in general feel welcomed into your organization, then the door is automatically shut. I mean, we've done experiments on this kind of stuff 
um, and we're working with the University of Nottingham as our, as our partner here as well. And they've shown that when you change the language in a job description, when you change the language in a job post, you can attract up to 70% um, more diverse candidates and twice as uh, many uh, candidates that fit the skill set that you need. So, wow. Yeah. So the, the stats are there. The, the proof is there. Um, it's just that not many people start from that perspective. And it's actually you know, one of our key um, tools uh, that, that we're building with Diversely specifically in order to help businesses, number one, reduce the bias in their language um, when they're reaching out to candidates. And number two, to help them post in places where they might not normally think to post. You know, if you're always just posting a job in the same old place or you're always just putting it up on LinkedIn or Monster or whatever it might be, and you're not looking at those more niche job boards, where this talent might be hanging out, then essentially you're again missing out on, on a huge amount of, of potential talent for your business. Um, so those are just some of the ways in which we, we start with the, the sourcing module, which we're creating now. Okay, fantastic. So from the employer's point of view, we're potentially able to double the um, relevant candidates that they get access to and increase the diversity of that uh, long list by 70%. Yeah, that, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly um, And then, but from the recruitment agency's point of view or the search firm's point of view, it occurs to me that if they were able to... Um, bundle this as part of their service, that's a massive differentiator that they could sell to their clients. Yeah, we're already in conversations with um, various recruiters. Um, obviously, Justin, my husband's business being being one of them. Um, and, you know, this, this really does help them to find the talent that they're being mandated to find. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you speak to recruiters, uh, particularly in certain sectors, the conversation is, well, my client has specifically asked me, you know, to find more women for his or her business. Um, and that's not just their clients. It's the clients of their clients specifically saying, look, if you're an advertising agency, for example, and you don't have um, a, a diverse team helping build those campaigns, then how do you know that message is really getting getting across? So for many big businesses now, diversity is, you know, yes, a way of, um, you know, finding the best talent, but also delivering the best services and delivering the best products. Because, you know, people don't all look the same out there. People don't all think the same out there. And if you don't have that diversity represented um, in the teams that are building these things, um, then, then really you're falling short of, of what those people will want and what they will buy. Makes total sense. Absolutely. So you had this idea, you and your colleague, what, what is your co-founder's name again? Haley, Haley Baker. Haley. So you came together, you had this idea, but I mean, it just seems massive. How did you attack this in a way that you, like you could turn it into a product that you would receive funding for and eventually take to market? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, well, as I said, it started at the beginning of 2020. Um, as I mentioned, I was getting increasingly frustrated through 2019. 
Um, and I applied to join a tech startup accelerator called Antler, um, which is- Antler, uh, did you say? Yes. Okay. Um, so they have programs running all over the world concurrently, uh, they're 11, 12 week programs. Um, and they essentially, um, the idea is that you're supposed to find a co-founder within that um, cohort. There's, there's about 100 people that get through at any one time. Um, and you build the next wave of tech. So whatever it is you're passionate about, you're building something um, towards a solution for that, for that problem. Now, obviously, I went in with this problem very, very clearly. Um, and I spent really 11 weeks, 12 weeks with my head down, just researching and trying and building and breaking various different solutions with various different um, people within um, that cohort. And I came out with the idea for diversity, which at the very beginning was this bias language corrector, essentially, so that you could track, measure and um, replace any bias language in your job descriptions. And when I came out of Antler, we uh, went into lockdown here in, here in Singapore. So I was kind of, okay, which direction do I go now? Because I still had hopscotch and I, and, and I had the idea for diversity. Um, and I just explored both, both options, but my focus was very much on, on diversity. And I started just to think about, okay, that's the beginning of, of the cycle. That's the beginning of the product. What else do we need to solve within the hiring process? Um, what tools do we need to create to reduce bias all the way through so that companies are simply reaching the best talent for their businesses? You know, what does that look like? Um, you know, lots and lots of research later, lots of conversations later. Um, as I mentioned, Haley then joined um, towards the end of, of April um, and we began to kind of plot what this could look like on a, on a longer term, more sustainable basis, and really came out with three separate modules. The first is the sourcing, as I mentioned. The second is the selection, which is once you've got your long list or short list, how do you know whether that person definitely has the right skills, definitely has the right um, fit, let's say, definitely has the right personality traits, and um, what does that look like? And thirdly, the hiring module, which is the final module that we'll build, um, which is all about reducing um, unconscious bias in the actual interview process um, and ensuring that that's an even and, and fair-minded way of approaching an interview. And throughout that, we have um, training. So we've also partnered with PCA, who you may be aware of. They're an international uh, trading company, and they are providing us with um, short training modules because there is lots of unconscious bias training out there does it work when it needs to work you know I think there are many arguments to say it's all very well going on a two-day unconscious bias training um, exercise do you put that into practice when you get back to your desk and I think for us it's okay let's have something that is you know actionable and pops up as and when it's needed rather than you know, three months ago. Um, so all of this is threaded through the platform and, and, and this is what we're building now. Wow, that's super cool. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. 
It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. So you went through this antler um, sort of incubator process. Um, you, um, you hooked up with Haley and, you know, but then presumably you need money to be able to build this business. So what was the journey there to try and actually access the funds that you needed? Yeah, um, so I'd previously tried to raise money and had partially successfully raised money um, from Hopscotch. So I kind of knew some of the steps towards towards doing so. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in a pre-product phase. So for us, it's it's tricky in a couple of ways, but mostly because people just have to believe in number one you actually as a person and as a as a founder with the experience the background that you have I mean my experience I guess kind of speaks for itself in many ways um, and I tend to fall much more on the commercial side with the marketing and sales um, Haley's experience is totally opposite to mine uh, much more in the tech and the finance space so we make a very very complementary team we also happen to get on very well together and also happen to both be very passionate about this problem. So that's a huge part of the puzzle. If you have that to start with, it's then a case of building um, the business case, really, which is what we did between, I would say, kind of May to August, probably, when we um, when we entered or, or when we received the HRM um, Asia Prize. And that's a case of putting together a pitch deck. And then really, I mean, I actually put something up on LinkedIn recently about how to raise your, your pre-seed or angel round, which is what we've just achieved. Um, and I put down 10 points and I can't remember them all off the top of my head now, but you just have to go for it. And I think if you have a decent pitch deck and you have various versions of that pitch deck and you're very detailed in what your business plan is, and by that I mean, um, you know, yes, the problem that you're trying to solve, but also the roadmap to solving that, um, the financials around it, your go-to-market um, strategy, um, what your first year looks like, what year five looks like, all of those things encapsulated within a fairly kind of snappy deck. Um, it's then a case of contacting as many people in the investor space as you can, as well as talking endlessly about what you're doing to anyone who will stand still long enough um, because you never know who's out there who's also passionate about this problem and who will chuck some money your way and, and I honestly mean that that's probably 50% of our of our investors I would say absolutely that's awesome tell, so tell me like how many 
people did you approach or speak to? Uh, you know, I, I, you're obviously passionate about it, and you're, but you also need the persistence to go with that. Um, yeah. Like, were there? I mean, did you hear a lot of no's? Like, what what's it like to actually pitch your idea and and try and make a, an idea into a reality? Yeah. Um, it was definitely in the hundreds. Um, I know I had one list that was about 200 people. I don't think anybody off that list invested. Um, they, were all, they were all cold calls, essentially. I mean, look, it's, it's a sales job, right? You're selling yeah. your product, selling yourself, you're selling your vision. What does any salesperson do in that situation? They just hit the phones and they hit the email and they hit LinkedIn yeah. and they hit every single possible channel they can to get the message out there, which is exactly what we did. Um, so I would say, yeah, we would have contacted hundreds of people. Um, we would definitely have had some conversations that were very frustrating where you'd be selling and selling and selling. And at the end, they'd be like, no, it's not for me, but thanks anyway. Um, which is fine. That's just, that's all part of the sales journey, isn't it? And, and it's exactly the same with fundraising. And, you know, within threaded through um, those conversations and those emails and those calls would be, you know, the one or two people, uh, maybe three people a month that would say yes. And that would keep you going. You know, mm. that's, that's what you, you know, you have a good idea. Nobody's saying it's a bad idea, by the way. There's right, nobody that right. said, well, this is, this is just ridiculous. <laughs> imagine why you really want to try and solve this problem let alone with the solution that you have no one's saying that everyone was very encouraging so we knew um and i knew from my background and i knew from my connections and so on that that we had something um but you've just got to find those people and and they're out there and we did find them fantastic are you able to say like how much you are trying to raise and how close you are to that uh to that figure yeah, so our goal was 200,000 US. Um, we achieved that and we've now gone past it and we've um, raised 275,000. Great, fantastic. And so then what does that allow you to do? Like what stage are you at with the development? Yeah, um, good question. So uh, we immediately hired our tech team the minute we had some money in the bank. Um, right. We something called a safe agreement um which anybody out there who's who's entrepreneurial and might be thinking of doing this i would highly recommend as opposed to um an initial shareholder agreement or equity agreement um it stands for simple agreement for future equity which means that once we have some money in the bank we can start spending it we don't need to wait to close the round to do that um, so we hired our tech team uh, back in september and they began work on the product. You know, we had all the plans, we had the roadmap, um, we had the blueprints and so on. Uh, we had our MVP as well built at that point. Um, and we are now uh, just moving into our beta testing phase. And that basically means that um, we have a funnel already set up of businesses who we know are interested in this um, solution and who have already started testing some of our things. So you mentioned that survey in the report at the beginning, um, those businesses have all gone through that, for example. Many of them have already tried our um, bias language analyzer as well, and that's helped them change their job posts and their job descriptions. And we're now moving into the tech phase of, of testing all the tech um, that helps with all of those points as well. So 
Um, that will start, uh, you know, it, well, it has started now and will go on until we launch, which is scheduled for um, May of this year. Amazing. What, by the way, what's MVP? A minimum viable products. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I, I've heard that term, but I didn't know the acronym. So all right. I hear you. So that sounds amazing. So what would you say uh, to this point has been the biggest challenge or obstacle that you've had to overcome? Someone else asked us this question, actually, one of our investors, um, before he invested. And we kind of, Haley and I looked at each other and, and, and paused for a bit. And it's actually quite difficult to find something um, mm. that's been that much of a challenge that I would be able to mark it out as one. Um, and I think that's because even though it seems to the outside, perhaps, that this has happened very quickly, you know, that we, that we have this product and that we put this idea together and so on and, and raise the money. This is something that, you know, in, in Haley's career and in my career, we've both been working towards. She's the MD of Girls in Tech here in Singapore. So we both have a very similar kind of um, background where that's concerned. So I think probably the biggest challenge, um, you know, I have to say the fundraising, but mm. not in a sense that it was ever off-putting or that we ever felt that it wasn't going to happen. Hmm. Interesting. So what um, is the underlying belief that you've held on to that's allowed you to take the knockbacks and the dead ends in stride and 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 uh and move forward yeah um i mean i can talk from a personal perspective it's definitely you know i'm i'm a, I'm a fairly stubborn person so once i have an idea um and enough people also think that it's a good idea, then I'm not going to let it go. And I really felt that I couldn't let down the people that, um, you know, I've been trying to help for the last five years. Um, I knew I wanted to find a solution for this. But I think what really kept me going, I suppose, from a business perspective, was that we are told so many times that. DNI is important. DNI is top of the agenda, and I've sat through numerous panels and forums and conferences and webinars and so on um, with people in business saying exactly that. And yet, there isn't really a concrete solution out there. It's all very bit part. It's all scratching the surface essentially, and it all comes down to an internal team here. A company mandate there. There's nothing that's actually affecting genuinely everybody out there in a positive way. Um, and that's what I wanted to create. And once I knew I had in my mind a vision for that, there was really nothing that was going to stop me from making that a reality um, as far as I possibly could. Amazing. And uh I mean, was there ne never any self-doubt or kind of wondering, you know, okay, everyone agrees this is a great idea, but um, am I the person to drive it and make it happen? Or is the market ready for it? Are people willing to, like, 
put their money where their mouth is and actually pay for something like this? You know, did you, um, what, what yeah. kinds of inner critic did you have to deal with? <laughs> oh, I mean, constant, but that's what keeps you going forward, isn't it? I think, um, no, look, I mean, I've had my fair share of, I would say moments where I have just wanted to give up, but not with this, not with this solution. Certainly over the last five years, you know, as I mentioned previously, the amount of educating I felt I had to do and the amount of frustrating conversations I was having were regularly leaving me in tears or just, you know, just really feeling like I was banging my head against a brick wall. And, you know, I knew that people wanted to solve this problem, but yes, they weren't willing to pay for it. That's a very good point. Um, yes, they didn't want to spend any extra time on it. Again, completely valid. And so the solution that I had with Hopscotch was just not the right business model, was just not the right solution. And of course, that makes you think, well, maybe, you know, maybe it's just me. Maybe, maybe I'm not the person to, to, to get this across properly. Maybe I'm not the person to solve this problem. Perhaps it needs a man to solve this problem, right? Because, <laughs> uh, because they generally do that uh, or are perceived to do that. Um, and look, I'm still here and maybe there is a better person out there to solve this problem. And if there is, well, good luck to them as well, but they're not, are they? I am. So I think that kind of puts pay to that argument in my mind about that on the point of the marketplace and, and the market, um, appetite, for something like this, it completely depends on who you speak to. It completely depends on where and 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 with whom you're having those conversations. One hundred percent. That's the mm-hmm. truth. Yes. There isn't a blanket desire for something like this out there. But what I will say is that the whole point of diversity is that it is designed to reduce the time it takes to hire the right person, to reduce the cost that it takes to hire the right person by reducing bias and therefore increasing reach to the best people, potential people out there. Um, So this isn't something that is just for businesses that want a diversity solution. This is essentially a supercharged ATS, a supercharged um, sourcing machine um, that helps businesses to to find the best talent out there. And, And we've built it completely with that in mind because of the five years that I spent having those frustrating conversations. (laughs) Amazing. Good answer. Great answer. So let me ask you this, Helen, because I uh, have interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs on this podcast. And one of the common themes, like I'm thinking of one interview in particular um, with a couple of entrepreneurs, Alex and John, who started a a recruiting firm called Liquid. And within... 10 years, they sold that for 20 million pounds. And the conversation, like one of the common themes was very much about like the sheer hard work, number of hours that went into that. And this is a common theme, which I hear a lot from successful founders is grafting and hustling. However, uh, at my stage in life, I don't want to speak for you, but I know you have three kids. I've got three kids as well. You just, 
I, and maybe this is a limiting belief on my on my part, but I just can't see myself being quite so single minded in like basically the business is what I'm eating, sleeping, breathing. All my focus is on that. Uh, that's just not gonna. I'm not prepared to work that way because you know I want to also you know look after my health and fitness I also want to look after the relationships I have with my kids and my wife and you know there's other things that are equally important to me so how with how do you juggle all that um yeah, I, I think there are a couple of points there and I, and I completely agree with you I think there is this um, belief or mindset that in in starting a business it has to consume every single piece of you um and yes for me that you know isn't something that's that's doable but i've been running a business on my own um before i started diversity um for four years and in that time had three children and moved uh countries um so and that and that i guess was a very a very in-person business so if we're talking about recruitment i completely get the recruitment space. My husband is a recruiter. I see, you know, how hard both he and his team work. Um, I'm not a recruiter. I don't approach this from a recruitment perspective. I approach it from a finding a better way of recruiting, finding a better way of reaching um, good talent. And let's not forget that I have a co-founder now. And this is something that Haley and I also discuss quite often. Um, you know, she also um, has run her own business for, for nearly three years. So we both come at this from having done this solo, along with a bunch of other things on the side. Um, and now we have each other. So I have my expertise in, in, in my side. Hayley has her expertise in her side. And we both cross over where the passion and the problem is concerned. Now, I'm not saying this isn't going to be um, hard work, but there's hard work and then there's hard work that you actually enjoy and there's hard work that you have a, a passion and a purpose for. And I think this firmly falls in that category for both of us. And, you know, I think we are very, very clear on our vision, very, very clear on our roadmap and our plan, both with each other and with our investors and with our clients and so on. You know, we're very clear on the steps we need to take to get it to a certain point at a certain time um, because we've, we've both done this before. So I think there is, um, yes, an element of there will definitely be days where it feels all consuming and or maybe even weeks um certainly you know after we we raised the funding at the, at the end of um 2020 um it, it felt very kind of all consuming but you get through those points and you move on to the to the next point and i think as long as you're organized and you're planned um you know you can find ways of coping with that and certainly on a personal basis i've taken on new practices i do my meditation and my um, exercising in the morning now to get my brain in focus. I'm very clear on the calls that I'll take and the calls that I either won't take or will put off, um, you know, for the future because they're not relevant right now. Um, I'm very clear on on my monthly goals and my daily goals. Haley and I have those conversations all the time. So I think you know there are ways that you can structure your time, ways that you can structure your approach. 
so that it doesn't at least always feel like that. Great. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Hey, listen, thank you so much, Helen. This has been really interesting. And I w- would love to track your journey because, you know, you're going to launch this properly soon. And so, um, you know, let's keep in touch. And, and if there's anything else I can do to, to help diversely, then um, I would be, I'd be really keen to do that. In the meantime, uh, if people are listening and they are, they, they feel like-minded with you and they're also passionate about uh, diversity and inclusion um, and they want to find out more, what's the best way for them to, I know you don't have a product to sell them yet, but what's the best way for them to get involved? Yeah, uh, sure. So um, you can head to the website, uh, you can click get started and um, just fill out your details there. Either, you know, if you're, if you don't want to leave your details, then you can just drop me a note, Helen at diversity.io. Um, and we can chat from there on. Our beta testing panel is open. Um, It's a way of testing our tools ahead of launch and securing a discount, even though we're extremely, uh, let's say, reasonable um, in comparison to to many of the products out there. We just operate on a monthly subscription basis. Um, So get in touch and, um, you know, very happy to to start the process now or or register guys um, and and girls out there who are interested for when we launch. Fantastic. All right, Helen. Well, good luck with that. I'll be excited to hear how how things uh, develop for you. I will keep you posted. Thank you so much, Mark, for the time. Thanks, Helen. Have a great day. Speak to you again. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really want to help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.